And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 23 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. And Andy, I'm going to start with you because I never start with you. How you doing, Andy? Grant, if I was any better, I'd be you. <laughs> oh, that's I like that. I like that. Is that is that like a, a an uncle or a, a neighbor, like an old neighbor, like used to say that to you? <laughs> I don't. I mean, or did you just coin legally? That right I'm now? barred from discussing these matters. Oh, because that's a good saying. That's like a good dadism. All right, Mark, how you doing? That's something that George King would say, but totally disingenuous though. <laughs> he wouldn't actually mean that. He would find a way to turn that into a backhanded insult to your face. I'm fine. I'm fine, Grant. Thanks for asking. I, I never go second on these. So, Yeah, no, Pretty never. Cool. It is amusing to me that, let me tell you, one of the very specific ways that I am a horrible baseball analyst and just general baseball historian, I cannot process numbers. I cannot process anyone's jersey number. So when I say it's episode 23, I was thinking before we went on, can I name one baseball player who wears number 23 and I cannot it's just I, I I do not have that part of my brain can you name a number 23 other than Jordan where or war because Don Mattingly wore 23. okay war yeah I'll take a war wears is great too but I just I, I don't even know Buster Posey's number I don't know numbers either because they don't put them on the front of the jersey right or maybe they do now I haven't watched a game in a long time um some teams have them on the front of their jerseys and have had them there for like quite who some time, name one the Los Angeles Dodgers. Oh, I can name a lot of I can of name a lot of Dodgers numbers actually. Yeah, <sighs> ask me a player on the Dodgers. I'll try and name. Like he number. literally covered the team that invented putting the freaking number on the front of the uniform. They put it in red because they anticipated it's so high having up them at on Dodger television. Stadium, you can't see down there what they're wearing. You just you know it's hard. That's kind of shocking with those lenses that you, wear, <laughs> that you couldn't see them. That there is an excellent photojournalist, Brad Mangin, who wrote a. a book, a photo journal of Buster Posey's career, just published, and the title of the book is Buster Posey's Jersey Number, and I've forgotten it. What is Buster Posey's Jersey Number? I'm because guess. you know what? No, I, don't, I think it's no, like I, just, I looked it up. I think it's 28. Is it that is it? 28. All right, wow. That's only because God, of the book. Suck. But this is going to segue into one of the only players, current players, whose Jersey Number I know, and that's Aaron Judge, 99. Bless his heart for making it easy for me. That's what... 
everyone needs to do is just have a very specific, like my childhood friend's phone number. Give me seven digits on the back of your jersey and I'll remember it. Yeah, I mean, I can name three 99s off the top of my head, right? Judge, uh, Manny Ramirez, Hunjin Ryu. So, yeah, oh, I mean, it's yeah. a very distinctive I number, as you that. said. And Judge is having a, a quite a distinctive season, you might even say. Yeah, so let's talk about Aaron Judge. It feels like we've danced around the periphery of Aaron Judge. I guess where I will start is the idea of 60 home runs. Does that still have cachet for, for y'all? Is that something that still makes you, like, your your bow tie spin like a propeller? Is that uh, is that something that, that gets us excited here in 2022, or are we too fancy for round numbers? Well, you guys are too fancy for that stuff. I'm I'm all in on it, man. Like that is all, I know you guys are too cool for school about everything. So let me start by saying that 60 home runs is astounding. Like Aaron Judge is a marvel. And what makes it even more impressive is that the person who's going to finish second is going to be second by like 20 bombs. That's incredible to me. So I know that we're sort of in this post caring about numbers phase in baseball. I get it. I think this is exceptional, though. And not only is 60 this round number that rarely gets you know reached, but the fact that whoever's finishing second isn't going to be close at all to this guy. And the last time you saw anything quite like that in the sport when it comes to home runs is what? Babe Ruth? That's the territory we're talking about. When we're talking about how far ahead of the curve Aaron Judge is, from everybody else at this one specific thing, which, by the way, is sort of at the core of the sport. So not only is it astounding to reach 60 home runs in this environment, but to do it looking like Secretariat, he's lapping the field. Could you imagine how many home runs he would hit if the baseballs weren't anti-juiced or whatever we spent all April talking about? (laughs) Can you imagine? Right. I mean, (laughs) agree with Mark. Uh, Despite what Mark thinks of Grant and I, no, 60 home runs. Yeah, that's cool. Since when? I, there's, well, I'm not like a dork who like calls you and is like, Mark, hey, did you hear? You know, Judge is going to get to 60. <laughs> like, but that is obviously a cool achievement. I'm just not going to like tell you I think that, you weirdo. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was interesting. So I was at Yankee Stadium yesterday and I wrote a column about Judge that is less about the milestone and more about his free agency, which we'll probably get into maybe later in the episode. But but he was asked, you know, about Roger Maris's American League record of 61 home runs, which is admittedly fairly arbitrary endpoint um, to discuss in terms of records. And Judge was asked about it. And he was just like, yeah, I, I don't care. Like, I, I don't care. I, I care about winning, which like is, you know, theoretically what, uh, you know, fans sort of want to hear from their superstar players. And that's generally kind of a the, the way you want to, you know, build a legacy is your legacy is being great while, you know, not basking in individual achievements. But he is such an outlier, both in the context of the sport and even just in the context of his team. I mean, like I wrote about this yesterday. I don't understand why anyone is throwing him strikes. The Yankees, in case you haven't noticed, have like close to falling apart offensively. They've had some real problems. They went on this road trip. They played 10 games. They scored 35 runs, 34 runs, and 13 of them were in one game. Of those 34 runs, Judge drove in 10 of them. So he's like a third of their offense (laughs) during that stretch, and it feels like more. It feels like most days their offense is just Judge hitting a solo home run, and maybe, you know, they score some points by accident. So, yeah, I mean, what he's doing, like, you know, you can get into the counting stats of going to, you know, 60 home runs. You can get into the, you know, the WOBA, like where he's at is at a level, I think it was like 450 or something that only 
three or four guys have done in the past 15 years, you know, and doing it in the context of playing for a first place team where the team is falling apart and he's basically the only thing keeping them upright offensively. It's just genuinely impressive. I will uh, rebuke my colleague and say, (laughs) how dare you? How dare you? I think this is cool as heck. But I also think we are kind of wired. We are a gentleman of a certain age who were cognizant of what was going on in 1998, right? I'm assuming you, I know, Andy, you're a little bit younger, uh, but you were watching 1998. You lived and died with every home run, uh, right? No, but I was aware of it. Like, I lived and died's a bit strong. But yeah, like, I was following it as a kid. I was like 11 or 12, and it was awesome. You know, it was fun to watch. And I was definitely more invested in Bonds a few years later, I think. Okay, and that is kind of this tipping point where everyone became too cool for school because you just assumed that every year you were going to get a Sosa, you were going to get a Bonds. Oh, this guy's going to hit 70. What's the next milestone, 80? (laughs) And that's really where the fatigue set in. And it's where a lot of the steroid fatigue set in. Just a lot of all of this stuff started there with 73 home runs. And it never happened again. Never happened again for Bonds. And now we're talking about 60, and I still think 60 is super, super, super cool. Just the coolest. I think 50 is cool. I like. I lose. I I flip my shit over 60 home or 50 home runs. Yeah, I mean there was some talk of it. I, I think in uh, Ryan Howard's MVP season because he hit 58 that year, and it looked like he might be on pace for 60. The one thing. So well, I will say is this. I don't think it's too cool for school to care about 60. 60 is awesome. I think when you start calling someone the real home run king or whatever that's where you get into just like miss me with that as the kids say like it's just no Barry Bonds (laughs) has the record it's like sorry you know you can't take it away like it is what it is so that is tired you know however hitting 60 home runs is a thing that's happened what four times like that's incredible listen to these baseball dorks go kiss a girl get out of the basement see some sunshine can't believe you guys are dorking out I'm just kidding this is pretty cool (laughs) It's pretty cool. 60 bombs is pretty freaking cool. What? And as you said, like, and it's, it's not like this is 2019 where guys who had hit five home runs before were hitting 20 all of a sudden, right? The, the ball was maybe a little bit closer to neutral. The pitching has never been better, at least in terms of missing bats. You know, so he's, he's a freak, man. He's incredible to watch. I think that's the part of this that gets almost understated. We're talking about round numbers and 60 is amazing, but... It's the degree to which he's ahead of his peers that is pretty darn close to unprecedented. Again, I think the only one that is that far ahead was Ruth. You look at the other 60 home run seasons in the history of the sport, and almost every time there was somebody chasing that guy, right? Like there was somebody that was somewhat close. We were just talking about 1998, the ultimate example back and forth between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. It was really compelling. But if you look at the other seasons, Maris, Mantle, etc., there was always somebody sort of in the ballpark. I, I feel like even in Bonds' home run, big home run, 73 or whatever it was. Luis Gonzalez hit, I think, 57 that year. And Sosa hit 64. Right. There you go. <laughs> All right. 64. I mean, imagine 12. It was 73 and 64 in the same season. Imagine hitting 64 and finishing like eighth in the MVP race or something. (laughs) That's awesome. No one remembers. Like I had to look it up. Like, oh yeah, that guy hit 64 her runs that year. I mean, that's incredible. So even in in the all-time single season, you know, record-setting year, there was somebody that was in the ballpark. There is nobody in Aaron Judge's zip code 
right now when it comes to hitting the ball over the fence in an offensive environment where everybody else seems to be a half a step behind than they're used to. It's incredible to me to put yourself that far ahead and then to do it in this context. And I think you guys made reference to this earlier. If you haven't noticed, the Yankees are like the Hindenburg trying to land (laughs) safely right now. And and the odds don't look great. They are on fire (laughs) right now. And the only one that looks competent at the sport is Aaron Judge. They're on fire? Oh, Oh, you you mean the bad bad way. Not the the sort of fire you're looking for. They're so bad, they're bad. Got it, got it. Yeah, I mean... This is one of those things where I, you know, I'm, I'm closely following my my day job team, and I I do the power rankings, and I kind of check in every so often. I just assumed that the Yankees had righted the ship. When I see that there's smoke coming out of the Yankees, that uh, I'll go, okay, that's interesting. I will tuck that away. I look, and they're eight games up. All right, whatever. I'll, I'll pay attention when I have to pay attention. Uh, now I have to pay attention. This is, I think, five games is where you really start to pay attention. I know they're playing the Twins, which is sort of their, uh, that's their uh, free space on the bingo card. That's their card. Washington Generals. No, I mean, the Twins, like, God love them. They just, they, they it's, it's, it's sad. They can't, they, they have no chance. They just can't do it against the Yankees, specifically. I'm picturing, you know, Krusty the Clown gambling on the Twins and going, what are you doing? He's using a ladder, for Christ's sake. <laughs> By the way, that's what I was thinking watching them hang sliders to Aaron Judge yesterday. It's like, why are you throwing him strikes? <laughs> anyway, sorry, Mark. You feel like every Twins pitcher in the last 20 years screaming at the top, like Brad Radke going, stop it. Stop it. You know? Yeah, all of them. Right. You know, like it, it's crazy, you know, Dunsing. Right. Dunsing. Like, oh anyway. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Started so game. We, we talked about Ron Garden hire we a couple, couple pods ago. Right. You know, coach, what went wrong again? Okay. So since 2002, and that is Ron Garden hires first season as manager of the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees are 112 and 39 against the Twins. That's including all those playoff series. That's a winning percentage of 742. That's a 120 win season. I'm going to get a hat tip to Mike Axisa, by the way. He, he put that out on his um, Patreon this morning. That blew my mind. A 120 win season pace against the Minnesota Twins. So, yes, when you say the Washington Generals, like the Generals are like, no, 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 wait a minute. We're a little bit better than that. <laughs> We joked about this of like a, two months ago or something like that. We were talking about the Twins being in first place. And it's like, well, you know, whatever seed they are, their season will end with them getting swept by the Yankees. We we can say that definitively. Uh, and they're, I think they're a game back, but they're like three games over five. Yeah, the, the NL Central or the AL Central is not particularly good. Anyway. They are not good. I mean, they're actually. fine. They're, they're, they're fine. But whatever. They're adequate. They're you guys were talking. I got sucked into uh, the rabbit hole of remembering some guys. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> 2004, uh, five innings, six earned runs. Carlos Silva uh, against the Yankees. Carlos Silva, and wasn't he? The, wasn't he the fellow who like walked three guys in a season or something like that? That sounds nine like, that was guys, all those guys though. Nine guys in 188 innings. Bless hey, what Carlos number Silva. did he wear? Was it 34? Um, 52. Ah, oh, not tried to close. be impressive. Just embarrassed yourself. <laughs> yeah. I used to be good at the numbers thing, and then I became a baseball writer and stopped giving a damn. I, I used to be great at it. Do you guys keep score in in the press box? I was at a game last week, and I made it three innings. Okay, 
Yeah, I I have the ADHD, and so it's hard for me to to stick with it. Um, I do, but do, I used do, to. I do. I do. Yeah, I do, do. If I'm going, if I'm writing about the game, yeah. Yeah, it seems helpful. Like it I'm is, not, yeah. you know, not not saying like, oh, you, <laughs> you know. Oh, when I'm writing about the game, which is never. Yeah, I was gonna say, what, 100%. why are you using present tense? Yeah, no, I don't write anymore. That's the funny part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, when I'm at the when I'm in the ballpark writing about the game back in 2013. Anyway, now I'm just there supervising. (laughs) Anyway, it'll be two one. (laughs) I got a question for you guys. Do you think he should be the American League MVP? Clearly, is this a debate? Yes, it's 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 a very active debate. Actually, I think it's annoying to me that it's a debate. (laughs) I just some things we just overthink. Let me tell you what the Yankees are offensively in the second half this season. Let me give you the slash lines, as you dorks would call it. 221, 300, 374. That's an OPS of 674. They have hit 53 home runs. It's the second half. That's the entire club. Aaron Judge is slashing 343, 484, 829, 1313 OPS. That's the second half. So, And the first... Numbers, by the way. That includes Aaron Judge. That includes Aaron Judge for the full Yankees. So 13-13 OPS by himself. He's got 21 bombs by himself in the second half. That's crazy. What's his ERA? <laughs> got his ass. <laughs> got him. <laughs> Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, we That's got good. him. That's no, good. I I appreciate the heck out of uh, Aaron Judge's season. As uh, I am on record, I will I will stake my my flag there. Like I I think he's really good. I think he's a neat baseball player. Otani is breaking everything, and I don't want to get into a position where if he's got 150 innings, a four ERA, and he's got an 800 OPS, that I'm still mashing his WAR together and saying, well, he's doing the job of two players, and that's very special. And I think you know if you look at the WAR, I don't want to do that but when he's going the way he's going he's got a 900 ops he is uh he's getting outs he's getting strikeouts he is comparable in every war way if you want to look at it to aaron judge i don't know i think when he's a top tier hitter and a top tier pitcher i don't see how you give it to anyone else if he's comparable to judge as far as what the statistics say then should if it's a 50 50 if it's a coin flip then obviously the one on the better club that is doing it in the context that they are doing it should get the benefit of the doubt there, no? I mean, if you, I'm, I haven't looked at the numbers. You're, are they comparable? Mark, he pitches. <laughs> like, look, I, I cannot believe I ended up on this side of the argument. Good Lord. Well, I can't believe I'm ending up on this side of the argument because, like, my brother's going to hear this in the Bay Area and go, look at you. You've been warped. This East Coast bias bullshit. It's finally happened to you. <laughs> Shout right? out to Frank like, I mean, this is the shit I've been hearing from him for, like, 20 years. It's going to happen, dude. You moved out there. It's your guy. It's East Coast bias. And look at me. I'm over here, like, taking the side of the Yankee player over Shohei Otani, who was amazing. No doubt about it. Thank God I stopped voting for this crap. So there just, it is. Too cool for school. Yes. Yeah, I don't need the str- I don't need psychos from Anaheim or New York yelling at me for whoever I vote for. No, I don't need that in my life. Uh, I also don't care. But like it's the sort of the, uh, the I guess problem is a weird way of phrasing it, but the, the 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 sort of dilemma with Shohei Otani essentially when it comes to the MVP award is that every year he does both, he's probably the MVP because he's the only person 
doing it at such a high level. And I look at the wars. I think Judge is actually ahead in war right now. Uh, I'd have to tote it up. So, like, okay, that's one sort of objective way of doing it. If you are doing it from a subjective narrative stance, obviously Judge has been, like, the star of the season. He's been the centerpiece of the season. I think uh, that is kind of a flawed way of doing it. It should go to the guy who has the best season Probably, you know, not the one who has the most narratively interesting. I think that's a kind of an unfair way of doing it. So the problem is it's sort of like with Albert Pujols in the 2000s or, you know, like Barry Bonds won like seven MVPs and looking back, he probably should have won like 12. Pujols won, I think, four, maybe three, and he probably should have won eight. You know, Clayton Kershaw left a couple of Cy Youngs on the table because there was narrative choices. So it's just kind of like every year Otani is doing this, he kind of has to be the MVP because... He's doing something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. Like, he, he, he pitches. He's going to throw, like, 160 innings of, like, 2-5 ERA while hitting 30 home runs. You're shaking your head as if, like, I am. You, you look like this me is in 2018 when I'm like, well, oh, you can't. This is nonsense. It's not nonsense. No, I, it is. It is nonsense, man. If, if the war numbers are close, as you're saying that they are, and I've always said this about MVP voting, or even when I voted for the awards, I'm too cool for school to do it now. But when I used to vote for it, I always said, yes, you need to like factor in these numbers that are more objective than the narrative nonsense that people have done it with in the past. All right, I get that. But when they're close, like they are in this case, apparently, then I think the other stuff does come into play. Now it does matter what context this is being done in. Aaron Judge is saving his team's season, and Shohei Otani's putting on an exhibition. It's an exhibition at this point. His entire second half are exhibition games. Nobody cares. There is nothing at stake. Nothing. <laughs> like, it's crazy to me that this is even close. I'll push all the way back on that. I'll push all the way back. There is a lot. He is preventing existential dread. <laughs> uh, there is like, if you're an Angels fan, man, and you've waited all off season, you had hopes for the Angels, you had dreams, and then they're just, you're all covered in Angels now, and you're like, oh God, it happened again. Otani is the guy who's keeping you into baseball, and he's a gift. Every start, every at-bat is a gift, reminding you, Angels fan, why you love this game. And it is kind of an exhibition, like you're saying, as, as far as postseason purposes. But it, there's value to that. It's not all about the winning the division, winning the third wild card or whatever. There is value into being a shining beacon on a ghastly team and preventing that existential dread. Dude, uh, totally. There is value to that. But, like, you can't, not when they're close, not when, like, you, when you got two guys that are producing objectively at roughly the same level. If it well, were based if on so, a, if based Otani on a made up just... algorithm that we don't know if it's real or not. No offense to Sean Foreman <laughs> and, you know, whoever wow. works at uh, whoever he runs took a shot. He took a shot at No, I love Fangraphs. I, I, I love Fangraphs. I love Fangraphs. Unbelievable. What year is this? I banned from Effectively that... Wild because I was shuffling chips too much. Anyway, I just want to be clear as, you know, Mark drinks coffee, which he definitely needs. If I was voting, I would vote for Judge. But I think what Mark's saying, like, it shouldn't be close or how is this a debate? I mean, they're both eight-win players and one pitches and hits. Like, it's good. that's what I'm saying with Otani. Every year, 
if he continues to do this, and we don't know how much longer he can, but every single year we're going to be having this. He's like, it's like having the Trout Cabrera debate only, uh, you know, like with some stank on it. Like, it's just, it's the same thing <laughs> as saying like, oh, how can Trout be the MVP? He's been playing exhibitions in the second half, you know? Like, well, is it the best player award or is it the most valuable player award? And it's like, it's the same. It's just, Otani's going to be here every year. If he continues to do this, because he's he's a freak. No one else can do this. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. I just put something together. The Angels have had Mike Trout, <laughs> and now they have Shohei Otani, but they've never been really good. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta save that for KNBR. Yes, I'm oh, sorry. I'll I'll bang those numbers. Can I just say, like Shohei Otani is wonderful. He is amazing to watch. We may never see it again. We will likely 
never see it again. And yes, we ought to appreciate it. I just want to say that because what I hate about these quote unquote stupid ass debates, not when I put quotes around that. No, they are stupid ass debates. <laughs> is that you end up denigrating right, great right. players. Miguel Cabrera actually And I'm not going to do that, man. I am not going to do that. Shohei Otani is unbelievable. Like you said, he breaks the model with which we try to understand this freaking game. And I respect the hell out of it. It's amazing. It is can't miss stuff. All right. If I can watch it, I will watch it. It is great. I just have a real hard time when two players are close, like Otani and Judge are, saying that the guy playing for zero stakes should be recognized with an MVP. And like I look at an MVP less about most outstanding player. I think part of it, too, is like, who do you want to recognize? And what Judge is doing every night when everybody else around him has disappeared is insane. And then, by the way, so we talked about this earlier, when he's hitting home runs to be that far ahead of his peers, you know, and then on top of that, the context, I think it's insane. And like, that's somebody I want to recognize just a little bit more, I guess. I guess that's the way to say it. But yes, Otani's awesome. Okay. Like I just, man, I really, that's the worst part about these, right? Is that you end up pissing all over a great player and I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. You were talking about this a little bit offline where you're wondering if the Yankees do collapse into a smoldering pile of ash. What happens to Brian Cashman? Do you give Aaron Judge like bonus points if he saves Brian Cashman's job? Like, does that factor into your... Judge might save Aaron Boone's job and Otani could not save Joe Madden's. So look at that mm. one. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's a bonus point for Otani. Wow. Tough crowd. Jeez. Oh, man. That's, that's the, you just like, I was on the fence and now it's like, yeah, maybe. He I hope he's hearing this for his next interview. <laughs> it takes a crop all over, over Grant Brisby. But like, wouldn't it be great if Madden like came out and did, you know, like a sort of monthly, like anti-analytics thing. And then he was like, hey, you know who else sucks? Grant Brisby. I like whimsy. I like whimsy. You know, I like humor. I want that in my organization. I don't want Brisby. He stinks. I would love that. I would love that. I, I hate when I hear that someone knows who I am. But if they are going to, if they are going to, I want them just to be like, that guy is terrible. I have no place for that guy in my baseball His job life. is to write about the Giants, and he doesn't seem to understand what's going on with them ever. When I had the podcast with Hunter Pence last year, about five episodes in, I said, uh, hey, Hunter, do you, do you know who I am? Like, do you know like, what I used to write? And he's like, oh, no, you're a fan, and you, you come from a fan perspective, and you wrote about the Giants. I'm like, but specifically, like, when I would mention you, do you remember, like, any of the pros I would write? No, no, absolutely. I was like, outstanding. <laughs> Let us continue with this podcast. <laughs> I have never written about you before in my life, so let's just Has move there on. Has been, since you sort of merged into the more, like, uh, traditional, you know, journalism world, have any Giants players or coaches or Bochi or anyone, like, said anything to you about some of the kooky stuff you'd written in the past? Not really. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, and I don't seek it out. And, uh, you know, when I met Mike Kruko, I said, you know, hey, you know, I, I, I'm a writer for, and he goes like, you know, yeah, I read your stuff. Like, you know, and I hated that. I hated that. Even though, like, I've, what am I going to say, bad things about Kruko? No, he's, he's an idol of mine. But no, I have not, uh, I have not gotten any feedback, which is great. Right. I That's love exactly it. what you're looking for. <laughs> no feedback i uh i am just a phantom on this planet and i am okay with that i am okay with that how about you guys who who hates you the most oh i don't i don't want to get into that pod wise no i mean either who oh, likes you on. the most uh 
Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know. <laughs> I, <laughs> the, the sigh of resignation from both of you. I'll tell you what, it's that's a hard one to answer because I feel like not once have I ever viewed anything that I wrote in that frame, right? I never wrote something to piss somebody off per se, and I never wrote something to be on their good side. I have a hard time even processing it because I've just never quite looked at it that way. Now, sometimes you write things and people are happy with it, and sometimes you write things and they want to knock your block off. That's fine. Like, you just sort of accept that as part of the bargain but yeah i don't i couldn't even begin to answer i think i could answer the first question i just refused to on the pod today <laughs> that's fair that, that's a loaded it. question i understand why you wouldn't i never wrote anything to make people like me i definitely wrote stuff to piss people off yeah uh, when i was a beat writer yeah that's like part of the job that's like the fun part of the job well yeah let me <laughs> rephrase i was never afraid to write things that would piss people off all right let's put it that way like i think you pretty much know when you're on a beat what note to hit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Okay? And and I never, I was never like gun shy about hitting the right note that night. And if that meant, you know, going full blast on a team because they, they're stinking up the joint and they've done it for like a week, then I did it. You know, if it was, you know, being the person to sort of tame the fan base almost. Because like, the fan base is going crazy, but what you're watching tells you that that isn't real. I'd write that. So I just wasn't afraid to play whatever note needed to be played that night. I think that's the way I'd say it. So I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't know if I phrase it as I, I did stuff to piss people off. Like I think, yeah, that's kind of part of the job in a way, but I, I, I kind of saw it more as just don't be afraid to do what you have to do. And sometimes it is pissing, pissing people off, I guess. I will say for all of my uh, little knock-knock jokes and criticisms that the one thing that I don't like doing to this day and I will avoid it is player X should be released manager Y should be fired. I ha- I still hate that. And it's hard though, because like I'm tiptoeing up to the line. Look, if you, you want to look up Tommy LaStella's baseball reference page, it's not pretty. And he doesn't really do anything well on the baseball uh, diamond these days. And it's still very hard for me to be like, uh, 40 man spots kind of valuable. I know, you know, sunk costs and blah, blah, blah. It's just really hard because it's, I think that sucks when people do that. And I also think, I mean, I think it's actually somewhat easier to, I don't think I've ever written like player X should be released or manager Y should be fired or GMZ has to go, you know. But I think like for the easiest one to probably assess properly is like player should go. And that's usually like, hey, look, there's a roster crunch, you know, like this guy's out of options. Like here, this should be the, you know, if you're asked or what do you have to write a column? Like this should be the move. I think like if you're, if you're assessing like it's time for the manager to go, it's hard to really know. I mean, that's one, you know, not to get back into the award voting thing, but like it's why voting for manager of the year is just a ridiculous task for, you know, 30 baseball writers trying to determine who's the manager of the year. We have no idea. Idea. I would say like even covering a beat, you only know so much about how good a manager is because the job is so sort of amorphous. I think it's probably easier to assess how good a GM is because he is responsible for um, you know a, a, a more obvious sort of product, whereas the manager, as someone in middle management, is just diff- more tougher to assess. So like writing, you know, like Ken Rosenthal, you know, wrote a, a really interesting column about the, the Yankees this week. And he was basically saying, like, if the Yankees collapse, you know, they might need to sort of determine, you know, if they want to continue with Brian Cashman, who's 
contract is up at the end of the year. And I think, you know, talking a little bit to Ken, you know, before he wrote it, I mean, it's, you know, you, you get into the, the sort of issue that I think the Yankees have had for 25 years. It's like, okay, you want to move on from Cashman? Find me a GM who's better, right? Like, well, good luck. You know, good luck to you trying to find someone who can build a 95-win perpetual motion machine, you know. Obviously, he's, like, flawed. Obviously, he's made mistakes, blah, 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 blah. But, like, it's a really hard job. And we, in our our stance as writers, like, it's very challenging to really know when it's time to move on, if that makes sense. I always thought that there should be one – the BBWAA should have one journalist – Go to every city in a league, just a special master. And this special master is in charge of the manager of the year voting. And he's embedded for a week here, for a week there. He's talking to people. He's digging into it. At the end, maybe he writes a book and recoups some of the travel costs. I don't know. Other than that, it becomes the manager of the most surprising team of the year award. And it's not fun. And it's it should be an important Award. It should be an award that we care about, but there's no way to make it because no one knows. Like you're saying, I don't, I don't freaking know. I don't even know no. if Gabe Kapler's doing a good job. I have no idea. Outcome of the year is Outcome what it turns year, out yeah. to be. And so I think one perfect example of what you guys are talking about regarding managers, we can agree that bullpen management is such a gigantic part of the job. Now tell me, whose elbow's barking? in that Yankee bullpen right now? How long has it been barking in that Yankee bullpen? You know, does Ron Marinaccio need two days to feel fresh again or three? Did that change from month to month? There's just so much we do not know. We just don't know. And then I think it's even more so now because you got managers managing off of data that's proprietary. When you talk about matchup data and, and every team does that slightly differently, right? So... Some better than others, but it's all different. The formula is different. So trying to assess even that one part of the job feels impossible. That's the one part of the job. And and at least that part's semi-public because there's an outcome on the field. Okay. Now, what about when, I don't know, the starting rotation hates one another? Okay. What about the, the middle in hypothetical, right? Or the middle infielder, like the second the second baseman and shortstop that won't talk to each other unless they're on the field. How do you keep that from becoming a thing? And how do we know? And this is, this is the kind of stuff that's happening every day. I used to say this, we're not covering baseball so much as we're covering an office with its politics. And the manager is a major part of that environment, right? That manager is huge in this ecosystem and how it ends up playing out. And there are so many tentacles to it that I think it's damn near impossible to be like, that guy's doing a great job. That guy, No, we're just looking at outcomes at this point. And if you're talking about like an office and an office uh, work environment, imagine if all of us, the podcast hosts here, if we had to do this seven days a week after flying for five <laughs> hours, after staying in the hotel and eating hotel food and, and it's with each other and we're trying to work this out, man, it, I know we like to chip at each other and have a little fun digging in. We would hate each other. We would hate, you know, it would be a lot. And that's what you're asking these players to do. They're tired and it gets to the end of a season. How is the manager navigating all these tired, hurt, disgruntled, just, I can't fathom it. So that's the real important stuff. You'll be shocked to know this. But ball players have egos. <laughs> no. That need to be managed. Crazy. 
Yeah. And you can tell who the managers are, like the one size fits all, where they have patience for this guy, but they're going to treat this guy just like this guy. And then you have the managers who are just going to be adept at, this guy needs more of a push, These, this guy needs more of a tickle. Like, that's the, the thing that we're not necessarily seeing unless you're embedded in there. And that's how you get the real manager of the year. Right. Folks. And again, I love that. I mean, that would never happen, obviously, just because of the, the cost. But like the idea of a special master to determine who the best. Like, I love that. Just like <laughs> that's something like, the, you know, like Sports Illustrated would do in like 1981. It would light like $100,000 yeah. on fire, you know, for like a cover story. <laughs> like that's just, man, what, we, we, we got into this business too late. Just Roger Angel, just you know, for a year, just going around and just okay. Yeah, like the, literally, the only thing we can we are really equipped to analyze is playoff bullpen decisions because those are the ones where you are presented with the the cleanest slate of health, I guess. And even if it's like someone's elbows barking, it's October. Like does doesn't matter, you know, in a way that it matters in April. And even then. It's still very challenging. I mean, like, I think Buck Showalter is probably going to win the National League Manager of the Year. And, like, it seems like he's done a pretty good job with the Mets. Obviously, they're playing great. He's uh, instituted some changes, blah, 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 that you can credit him for. But, like, if you were to ask people, like, two years ago, like, what is Buck Showalter's most memorable playoff moment? It's, like, one of the more confounding things I've ever seen in a playoff game when Zach Britton just sat in the bullpen, you know, as their season went away. And so it's, like... Even the ones who are really good, Buck Showalter, Kevin Cash is someone who has a ton of, you know, respect, you know, in the industry. He took out Blake Snell, you know, in that in the World Series. Craig Council is probably considered the consensus number one manager in the sport. And his clubhouse seemed like it was on the verge of tears for a week straight after Josh Hader got traded. And at some point that falls on the manager. It's just such a complicated job that's so difficult that like even the even the great ones make mistakes, and even the ones who don't seem to be all that good probably deserve a bit more slack. What about a manager who has to uh, fold in a lot of different superstar personalities, a lot of rookies, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, guys coming straight up from double-A? Feels like we don't talk about Brian Snicker at all. I think that might be the first time I've ever said his name out loud. He might be just such a hyperdimensional genius, baseball genius, he's the reigning champion. I don't know. Do you guys have Brian Snicker stories? We were joking about extensions last week and the Braves and, and why it's happened. I would hazard a guess that Brian Snicker is a part of that. You know, this is a guy that you want to play for. It seems like that seems, you know, that guys like playing for him. You know what to expect from this guy. He seems to be able to connect with folks. I think that matters. You know, Andy's talking about how hard it is to measure and understand whether somebody's good and bad at this. And I totally agree. But I think there are parts of it where the outcomes keep happening, right? They keep winning. And it seems like those guys, you know, you don't hear about major problems out of there. So, and I do think a manager is a significant part of, you know, how an organization is perceived by the players, right? Because he's the front facing person that's making calls and passing these decisions down. It's not, you know, GM isn't one in the room doing that. It's the manager. It's the coaching staff. And so I think they do play a pretty important role there. And yeah, Brian Snitker, in my opinion, deserves a lot of credit for what they've been able to accomplish over there. You know, not just the wins, winning, but also they're keeping their players. Guys want to stay. I think that says something good about the manager. When I watch the Braves play, especially in October, 
I find Snicker to be a fairly inefficient manager. I watch him and I'm like, they are leaving some expected value on the table in these various, you know, scenarios, like pinch hitting scenarios, bullpen scenarios, you know, all the sort of game management stuff. It's, when I watch it, I feel like, okay, they are, they are missing uh, a little bit of something here. And yet, they're playing in the playoffs. The team is very good year after year after year. They have created a culture. As Mark said, players want to stick around. Obviously, he's a part of that. And so, obviously, he is a very, very valuable addition. So, but it's one of those things, like, if you're just watching the Braves, you're like, why did he go to that? Like, what? Like, I don't get that. Like, and then you're like, look, you know, you go to baseball reference and you're looking up the splits and you're like, what the? Oh, he got an out. Oh, the inning's over. What? That was weird. <laughs> you know, anyway, and the Braves win. Like, it's, you know, so like, so I, I think we are limited somewhat by the lens by which we look through things. Also, fun fact about Brian Snicker, uh, if you happen to see me in a Brian Snicker press conference during the postseason, I will be riveted because I often like to gamble with other people in the press conference on how many times he will be called Brian and how many times he will be called Snit. It's Snit. really fun. It keeps <laughs> me engaged. Uh, you set an over-under. Hey, pregame, you know, they're up 2-1 in the series. I got four and a half Snits today. What do you got? Over-under. And someone will take the over. And we'll just, you know, you'll just be locked in the whole time. Every question, you riveted. Where do we stand on that, by the way? On using nicknames for players or managers that you cover. Are we yay or nay? Because I've always been nay on that. Um, I don't like it. Do you do that? I've never used that, you know, when I'm talking to like Eric Hosmer or Alex Gordon or Chris Young or anyone. I don't use nicknames. It's definitely, I definitely don't talk about Haas or Gordo or CY. Yeah. No, no. To them. To them. What I mean, like, would you ever walk up to Eric Hosmer and go, Haas, you got yes. a minute? That's how he is addressed. Mm. If I went up to Mike Moustakis and said, Mike, do you have a second? He would be confused. You say, hey, Moose, what's up? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I get it. Like, it's embarrassing. You know, like, I don't, there was a, there was a conference call many, many years ago where I was on a, uh, you know, it's like a Royals uh, gold glove conference call. And I asked the question, like, you know, like, Haas, were you surprised Gordo didn't win, you know, a gold glove? And I was getting made fun of about it for literally like seven years. People still make fun of me <laughs> for it. And it's like, that's his mind. He thinks of Alex Gordon as Gordo. So my job is not to look cool to all these hip writers like Mark, you know, who would never call someone by their nickname. My job is to connect oh, that's with rich. the athlete. And so if it's That's calling rich. Eric Hosmer Haas, which is what the majority of people in his baseball life refer to him as, I'm going to do it. I will pay you $15 for you to say this to Joel Sherman's face. I have. I'm not embarrassed about it. I, like, I, I get annoyed when people make fun of me, and I guess it, it manifests as embarrassment. But, like, that's – sorry. That's what they go by. Does uh, Shermie have a problem with nicknames? Joel is just making fun of me because it's – you know, I did, like, whatever. I deserve <laughs> it. I would do it to someone else. Like, I you know <laughs> – you would be the first. Of course, to yeah. Like I, I, you're tr- you, I give you credit for my entire life is reaping true. what I've sown. I mean, like it's f- like <laughs> <laughs> I get made fun of constantly because I am just walking around, you know, shitting on people. So like it's just wearing yeah, people. Like out. yeah, it's one of the hazards of just having so many Twitter. Shut followers. up, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. That one. It's amazing. <laughs> The half-life of the Randy Arozarena Twitter thing is, like, <laughs> is incredible. That might end up being like the most memorable thing I ever wrote, that I said I had 50,000 more Twitter followers <laughs> than Randy Arozarena. 
I love it. I don't know why it tickles my funny bone like that, but I, I love it. Dude, Mike Farron can't get enough. Our friend of pod, Mike <laughs> Farron, like just, I remember when that dropped, man, like he screenshotted and texted right away. It was like freaking five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it was one of those things. I was very, I wrote a story about the Rays last year for people who were wondering where this came from. And I was very proud of it. I worked for a long time on it. And, you know, so like, like most people, I, you know, I like praise online. And so I was kind of checking my phone and like, I remember, uh, posting the story and then I got a notification and it was from Steven Nesbitt, you know, our, our talented colleague, someone who I immensely respect. And I was like, oh man, Nez said something nice about the story. I wonder what it was. And it was just like, wow, like we're taking shots at Randy or Rosarena in the AM or something. <laughs> and I remember being first like, one, why are you doing the like, how do we do fellow kids uh, vernacular online? And two, oh, oh no, like this is what people are going to be taking out of this. Oh no. So good. So good. All right. This has been, that's a good place to end. We will uh, never bring it up again. Don't worry about it, Andy. We will never mention that again. All right. This has been episode 23. I looked it up. Uh, you want to know a, a very famous number 23? Will Clark with the Orioles. He wore number 23. Everyone remembered that, right? Jerry Brown of the Oakland A's. Zach Greinke wore it a bunch of years. Ryan Sandberg, Louis Tiant. Uh I'm just remembering some guys. Tim Wallach. God, that's a good guy. Oh, Tim Wallach. That's a good guy. Good player. Uh, yeah, Mike Moore, Vic Wirtz. Oh, that's a famous. He's a part of baseball history. All right. This has been episode 23 of the Roundtable. We will be back next week, and uh, we'll yammer at each other and, and try and make each other laugh. See you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.